With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Tuesday, September 8th, day 8 of the U.S. Open in the books. Our quarterfinalists set on both the men's and women's draw, and I will tell you, it is an exciting final 16 players left in singles here at this 2020 U.S. Open. Fairly stable day on the men's side in terms of the fourth round results we saw, but boy, we were treated to three three-set matches on the women's side, and even the straight set match, awfully exciting. So we're going to recap all of that action, preview day nine's quarterfinals, and of course, joining me to do just that, as he has throughout this 2020 U.S. Open, you know him as our Cracked Rackets do everything, a former Denison men's tennis great, the only undefeated high school tennis coach in Missouri tennis history, a man I affectionately refer to as James Foster McDonald. Jamie, day eight in the books, quarterfinalist set. How are you feeling? I feel like this tournament is just passing me by. You know, we we talked before we hopped on the pod about you know our our outlines, how we structured the pods, and now it's tiny. There's only a few matches to you know worry about. We can't flip through matches during the day. It's I don't know. It's it's exciting, but it's also sad. Yeah, no, I mean, it goes by so quickly, and especially given just all of the storylines. You know, week one will probably be remembered as the Pair 11 week, right? There was obviously, we're all going to remember this Grand Slam being held in the midst of a global pandemic. That's something that won't be forgotten, but it's just amazing how quickly we flipped the script from that to, okay, obviously what happened yesterday with Novak Djokovic, him striking a line judge with a ball in the throat, that's something that's always going to be remembered from this U.S. Open. Now you flip the next page and it's like well now we get to focus on the next gen and obviously that's something we love to do here uh, at Cracked Rackets and then on the women's side Jamie we're one match away from a Vika Serena semifinal at a slam in 2020 like I, I can't even begin to grasp that. That is not a matchup. I, I didn't even know if we were going to get that again. It's you know it's equivalent to when a Fed, a Djokovic, and a Dahl match up at a Slam. That's the sort of success those two have had over these past ten years in women's tennis. Yeah, it's. I mean that's why we do this podcast daily, right? There are so many storylines that can get lost. We're now up to eleven next geners with Grand Slam quarterfinal appearances after Shapovalov, Dimonawar, Chorich, uh, add are added to that list after they make the quarterfinals. And of course, Naomi Osaka, she's looked so good. There are just so many different storylines. It really has been a fantastic U.S. Open. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting. It's Everything sort of got flipped on its head, right? When you when you look at the men's and women's draw now, right? If you have a Serena and Vika matchup on the women's side, um, and on the men's side, it's all a bunch of brand new faces, a new Grand Slam winner guaranteed. So very interesting to say the least, but also just very exciting, right? I mean, I don't think a lot of people saw um, this happening in the men's side. So really exciting to get to see what happens from here and how these next-gen folk battle it out and on the women's side I mean a great chance for two great champions so all positives for me yeah, no, I mean, look, day nine on the women's side going to feature two quarterfinal matches. Only one of those players of those four possible uh, is a top four seed. That's Naomi Osaka. The others, you know, two 20 seeds and then someone unseeded. And that's exactly what we expected on the women's side. So it's a little dose of everything. And of course, we will preview today's quarterfinal matches at the end of this podcast. As we always do, we're going to give you a couple of match breakdowns. Only eight singles matches to discuss, so we'll hit all of them at some point. We're, of course, going to uh, run through the day's results, preview day nine, and the reason we are able to do that here at Cracked Rackets day in, day out, is because of the support we get from our friends at Midwest Sports and Arabar. 
Going to keep it simple as always. Look good, feel good, you'll play good on the court. That's where our friends at Midwest Sports and Aerobar come in. They've got it all at Midwest Sports. Rackets, shoes, grips, grommets, strings, uh, shirts, uh, just anything you could need to help accentuate your tennis game, to help make you you know, that much more confident on the court, whether it be updating your equipment or, again, maybe you've gotten in really good shape during this quarantine. You're ready to go down a shirt size. That's something Midwest Sports can help you with too. All of the above, all available on their website. MidwestSports.com. Their staff, so great, can help you out if you don't know exactly what you're looking for. And if you use our promo code CR15, you're going to get 15% off your order, free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75, and best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls. MidwestSports.com. The promo code is CR15. For Aerobar, it's the only tennis-specific energy bar in the business. And, you know, Jamie, I know you can speak to this. It's so hard, right, to find exactly what works for you on court, you know, for all of us, Subway, Panera, just that you're used to going to those basic chains. And sometimes that works. Sometimes you feel a little salty afterwards. That's not the case with Aerobar, right? They finally solved the conundrum. What should a player be eating on court? Yeah, absolutely. You don't need to be the nerd who comes out with the igloo cooler, <laughs> right? With 17 different things, right? You've got your drinks. You've got your Aerobars. You're all set. Yeah, exactly. Keep things simple. Go to aerobar.com. Delicious cinnamon, honey oat, and chocolate chip flavors available for you. And best of all, a podcast as well, getting to the point where we focus on the importance of nutrition and fitness in the modern tennis game. Uh, again, we are so grateful for the, our friends at Aerobar, their continued support, the way you can show support. Go to aerobar.com. Use the promo code CRACKED15. You'll get 15% off your order. Let them know that we sent you there. So, Midwest Sports, Aerobar, look good, feel good. You're going to play good and that's what we want for you here at cracked rackets what else do we want to continue this exciting u.s open because again it has been such a blast here through this first week and a half of action and with that in mind let's talk about how we got our quarterfinal field set bottom half of the draw participating in day eight's play and obviously we got eight round uh four matches all various degrees of exciting let's start with a match all of us had highlighted probably from the moment it came out in the draws and look for serena williams i have been i would say vocal about my reservations on her ability to win this 2020 u.s open i just didn't think she looked particularly good in Lexington. We got the chance to see so many of her matches covering the event for the Tennis One app. <coughs> Excuse me. And then, you know, Western and Southern, she lost a match to Maria Sakari in three sets. She was in control of that match, and you could just tell she, you know, from a fitness perspective, and then mentally after she dropped that second set, she just lost the threat against Sakari. And so for them to have the opportunity to have a rematch here in the fourth round, it was a match all of us were hoping to see because we thought it would be a great litmus test. How is Serena Williams performing at this U.S. Open? And I'll say this. You can look through the history of Serena Williams' career. I highly doubt there's more than two players in her entire, again, 20-plus year career who have beaten her in back-to-back events. Uh, obviously, that was not the case yesterday either, as Serena Williams knocks out Maria Sakkari, 6-3, 6-7, Jamie, the thing I might like most about this result is the fact that Serena dropped that second set, and yet the way she came out and competed in set three, complete reversal from what we saw at the Western and Southern Open. Yeah, really refreshing to see that it didn't just follow the same course, right? Especially for somebody like Serena, um, such a great champion. You know, you you expect this sort of turnaround. And, you know, look, Serena did a lot of things right. I will say, though, uh, you know, I don't want to put too much weight in the fact that she had this incredible, you know, result coming through in the third set. Because realistically, Sakari had this on her racket, Uh, particularly in the third set. She had chances, right? She got that break for herself in the third um, looked really solid, and and I think this is where you get to the point where it, there's this realization: you're playing Serena deep into a tournament, deep into the U.S. Open, um, and that's scary, right? You start thinking about this thing: well, nobody beats Serena back to back, and so her name and her presence starts to carry a ton of weight um, on the court. And and look, that's a really dangerous thing that Serena has in her back pocket. So I think that is one of the reasons why, if she just stays around in matches. Her opponents will get flustered because of the reputation she has, and then she pounces. And from my perspective, that's what happened in set number three. 
I mean, look, in this match, there were only four breaks of serve. Serena got the break she needed in the first. They exchanged breaks in the second. Serena got the break she needed in the third. This was a very simple match. And look, for Serena Williams, I agree with you. She only made 54% of her first serves. But uh, as always, that's her most effective shot. It all starts with the Serena serve. And she won 72% of those first serve points. 29 of 49 on the second serve. 59%. That's not too bad either. And Look, I mean, 3 of 8 on break points isn't great, but she was 5 of 6 in fighting off break points and 30 winners against 30, I believe, 5 unforced errors, she, or 38 unforced errors, excuse me. She was steady, and Maria Sakari made this match physical. That's what you have to do when you're playing Serena Williams at this stage of her career, because obviously at 38, she's not going to be able to move the way she once did when she was 28 or 26 or 24, or even honestly 33. And just for Sakari, just the way she's able, I thought, to compete in that match, and um, or just the way she made the match physical, I thought she executed the exact sort of game plan you want to against Serena. She was taking second serves early and just sticking around in points, but to your point, absolutely. Serena Williams displayed a patience that she just didn't in the Western Southern Open or just didn't in Lexington, and that speaks to the moment we're in. It's the U.S. Open, and that's going to bring out a whole new gear from Serena Williams. We've seen that from her, again, throughout her entire career, but it's still so encouraging to see her flip the script. And, you know, I've wavered back and forth. I still think Naomi Osaka, when she plays her best, is playing better than any player in this draw. But just, you see the way, to your point, that Serena just sticks around, and then it's 4-all or 3-all in the third against Serena. And regardless of who her opponent is, you favor Serena once you get to that stage of a match. And again, in this instance, she was able to carry, uh, to pull it out and, you know, get through to the quarterfinals. Yeah, this is a this is a really promising result, and I do. I mean, look, I I had Serena. I put her all the way through to the champion slot in my uh, Turnitopia bracket. So, um, you know, here's to hoping at least something pans out in Turnitopia, right? <laughs> Uh, but no, I mean, you bring up an interesting point, you know, the, the further and further we go into this draw, you think about that matchup and, you know, the, the Williams Osaka clash looking more and more likely and, uh, Look, that matchup is really interesting for a lot of reasons. Of course, for history as well. You can think back a couple of years and all the drama and how that unfolded. But, I mean, you make a good point, especially with how Serena is playing. If that match gets close, you, you got to look and say, wow, Serena can really win this thing. But there's also a chance that at the level that Osaka has been playing, she just wins that match outright. Yeah, no, I mean, I agree with you. And look, for Maria Sakari, again, it's that she performed at a pretty high level. 35 yeah. winners against 43 unforced errors, not bad. You know, 60% of her first serves in, pretty good. She won 73% of those uh, sec- first serve points. Now on the second serve, you know, Serena was able to attack, be the aggressor. And, uh, you know, Sakari only goes nine of four, four, 19 of 40 on those points. But, you know, Serena only came to the net 12 times. She was 5 of 12 on those points. You look at the distance covered per point Serena at 34.7 Sakari at 38.4 anytime that gap is more than two feet uh, it's pretty clear one player was the aggressor the other was playing a little bit more of a retrieval style and Sakari did a really good job of doing that now you know of course there were some unforced errors particularly at the end of that third set it was just a loose game for her to get broken to give Serena the opportunity to serve for the match and uh, you texted me this so I'm going to give you credit I believe I was incorrect earlier I think Sakari broke in the third. Serena just managed to get two breaks of serve in that third. Uh, But yeah, it was just, it was a loose game at the end from Sakari, who was right there physically. And I think if you're her, you come out of this U.S. Open, you come out of this two-week stretch in New York pretty confident in the work you did during those five and a half months of quarantine and feeling pretty good about your game. But yeah, this is just a vintage performance from Serena. Yeah, this is what we want to see. Um, this is the sort of win she needs to have under her belt if she's going to be taken um, seriously as a contender, you know, without just blowing people off the court. So really impressive and promising for the future of the draw. Yeah, feels worth noting in this match, Serena Williams, 37 receiving points one, Sakari 36. So really wasn't either or. And again, that's why the later in this uh, Grand Slam you get as we're in these later stages of uh, this tournament, you just 
you don't doubt Serena Williams. And so it's it's going to be a fun home stretch for sure. And obviously that was a fun match as well. But another really good one on the day came on the men's side. Let's talk about a guy we I don't think we've spent enough time covering throughout this U.S. Open. And some of that is just because, simply put, his wins have been dominant. He has blitzed his way through this draw. He dropped his first set of the tournament in this match. But you can certainly excuse Andre Rublev for dropping a set in his match against number six seed Matteo Berrettini. It was the first set he dropped 6-4. From there, he was rocking and rolling. A 4-6, 6-3, 6-3, 6-3 victory for Rublev. Rublev advances to the quarterfinals of the U.S. Open for the second time in his career. He gets a little bit of revenge for Ber- from Berrettini as well as Berrettini knocked him out in the fourth round of this event on his way to the semifinals. Uh, but Jamie, you look at Andre Rublev's performance in this match. I mean, the number that stands out out 58 of 68 on the first serve points. I mean, he hit 34 winners in this match, I believe, against only 20, I want to say eight unforced errors, something like that. That's a really good performance from Andre Rublev. Yeah, this was a good performance all the way around from the young Russian. So this this is exactly what we want to see. Um, and, and you mentioned it, two guys that had not dropped a set. So pretty quietly moving, you know, efficiently through this draw and Rublev making quick work of Matteo Berrettini obviously he drops that first set um, however you know takes two three and four fairly routinely I mean look this wasn't a bad performance from Matteo Berrettini and, and it feels it feels notable that well I don't know we'll say this I think we need to talk about Berrettini a little bit at least in the context of this tournament he's looked really good you know in the return to tennis he's slimmed down he looks to be in really good shape um, and the level of tennis was really high throughout this entire match both of them effective on the first serve you know sometimes you wish they could maybe get into the return games a little more but with two power players like this who have such big weapons you understand why it doesn't always go that way yeah, and again, this would have been a great match to have the return in, returns in play stat available to us because that was something that impressed me so much about Andre Rublev is, you know, one thing he struggled with in the past, obviously just getting that return of serve in play. He wants to be so aggressive with that ball, but I thought he did a great job off of both wings in this match. The other thing I thought he was fantastic at adjusting to, and this is a testament to the work he and his team have put in on his fitness, on his movement, because so much of his game, right, predicated on finding forehands, particularly on the ad side. He wants to be camping in the alley, hitting inside out, or in, and then opening up the court to hit that inside-in forehand, which he can snap off as well as anyone on tour. And just in this match, you know, the first set, why Berrettini has historically been such a poor matchup for Rublev is the backhand slice for Berrettini just throws the, it's junk, right? He's throwing junk at Rublev. It's out of Rublev's strike zone. It requires a little bit more movement. It throw it throws off his timing. And so Rublev's not able to hit that ball cleanly. That gives Berrettini time to open up forehands for himself. And again, because Andre Rublev in the past has not been the most proficient mover, I'd say he was always fine, but he was never in the good category. Uh, that backhand slice and just Berrettini's overwhelming power, the you know combination of those two things has given Rublev troubles have exposed his weaknesses and just the adjustments he made in sets two three and four getting around that ball being just a little bit more patient before pulling the trigger inside in with the forehand and then even just being more comfortable instead of trying to run around that ball hitting backhands playing you know deep backhands cross court back to Berrettini or keeping him honest by taking his backhand down the line and following that in volleys another thing Rublev hasn't been great at in his career he's 20 of 28 in this match. I just, you know, it was a really impressive performance for Andre Rublev. Everything was clicking and, you know, the firepower's always been evident, but it's the fact that he's become such a more, uh, such a better, you know, more well-rounded player over these past 12 months. You know, last year, he was barely into qualities as an alternate for the Western Southern Open and injuries had a lot to do with that, but ever since he, you know, beat Federer made the quarterfinals there, it's just been a straight upwards trajectory for him. Yeah, he's looked really good. And, and I will stop to, and talk about the net points a bit because this is something that's been a question mark for Andre Rublev for the last couple of years now, um, talking about developing him into you know more of an all-court player because we all know he can stand you know a foot behind the baseline and just whack balls. So you know this was very impressive to me because, yeah, even though Berrettini technically led on the stat sheet 17 of 19 in net points, 
it's more telling for me that he that Rublev went to net 28 times and mm-hmm. kept that pressure mm-hmm. on Matteo Berrettini. He wasn't going to say, hey, all right, Berrettini, I'm going to give you this sitting forehand that you can just slug because that's what he loves to do. So Rublev played this match really intelligently, did the right things, put the pressure um, in the right places at the right times. And, you know, that's why he comes through this one. And he looks really good going into the quarters. Yeah, the quick counterpoint to that, because I feel like I haven't given you a counterpoint in a while, would be that Berrettini, or just because of how hard Berrettini hits, because Rublev, I would say Rublev's movement now is, it's probably better than fine, but it's still not, it's still not good. It's just like, it, it, it'll work. It works. It works, I would say. It's good. It's fine. It's, it's somewhere in between there. Anyways, uh, the point being, I think Berrettini's approach shot sometimes, Rublev just didn't even get a play on it, and so 17 of 19 is feels a little bit lower than how many times Berrettini actually planned on moving forward to the net. Does that make sense? Sure. Yeah, no, there were definitely more times, and yeah, obviously that stat, um, you know, represents when they are actually getting yeah he hit a volley 19 times but he was approaching for it yeah I I, so just with that in mind just to quickly do the Berrettini side because to your point you know 56% on the first serve in this match that's just not good enough and you know he did a good job of exposing the Rublev second serve and finding forehands on his return and I actually think that's a you know a a concerning thing for Rublev still moving forward. That second serve definitely hangs on him. But, you know, 34 winners against 44 unforced errors in this match. He was pressing a little bit towards the end. And then you could just sort of see him lose confidence. You could see, again, there's just not really a plan B. The Berrettini plan A is still exceptional, uh, but the, the plan B is still a work in progress. Yeah, I think that's fair. And the big one for me, honestly, is just making his serve um, more effective because everyone knows he can bomb it, but you know, it's, it's a surprising, it's a surprising amount of the time that he gets a first serve in and doesn't win the point or where are the free points with aces, right? He has five aces in this match and the one set he wins, he has one ace and one double fault for a guy of Berrettini's stature. And with his ability to hit the big first serve, I look, that's just, you can't be out aced by Andre Rublev. <laughs> no, that's, I, I think- that's, that's my feeling on it. Yeah, no, I, I mean, he was per- he was effective with the first serve percentage, right? 71% first serves won. Well, compared to Rublev's 85. In no, point. but that's what that's what I'm saying is in yeah. that match, especially given Andre Rublev is not the returner of a Demon Hour or like a Djokovic quality, or a Medvedev, I guess, will stick with the next gen. You know, that's not Rublev's return style. I agree with you. Uh, there's room to be more effective. But I think that's also a credit to just how well Andre Rublev was striking the return today. And again, uh, such a good performance performance for him to advance to the quarterfinals, I believe, for the first time at a major since the 2017 U.S. Open, which obviously came before his first wave of injuries, so a huge win for him. Another player who finds themselves back in a Grand Slam quarterfinal for the first time in a while, Victoria Azarenka, a player that, if you listeners have listened all week long, you will know that Jamie McDonald, uh, very high on coming into this event, and it makes sense, right? She won the Western Southern Open, looked awfully good doing it, but to play three weeks of high-level tennis in a row, that's a tough ask from any player, even a 25-year-old in the midst of their prime. Nevertheless, Vika Azarenka clearly channeling whatever uh, best tennis she played early in her career, and honestly, might be playing even better now. Just physically looks so good, moving so well around the court, showing off the variety she can play with. She bounces back here in a really tricky win over Caroline Mukova, 5-7-6-1-6-4. Jamie, you were sending me texts. I know you got nervous in this one. What'd you think about Azarenka ultimately getting over the hump? Yeah, it was weird. I, I did get a little nervous. So obviously, you know, Mukova does a good job of getting and creating a lead um, in the first set. Azarenka comes storming back. And honestly, I thought she was going to flip the first set on its head and take the first. So when I saw her drop at 5-7, I was a little concerned. But Vika Azarenka, again, being the champion she is, comes back with a very decisive second set that to me completely set the tone. And I was like, okay, we're good. Um, you know, once I saw about halfway through the second set, I was like, all right, Azarenka's winning this in three. Um, and, you know, I was perhaps a little bit less confident when texting with you because I was, I, look, 
again, the other part of my Turnitopia that's doing okay is the Vika Azarenka pick. So um, <laughs> I needed this one to go well. But no, I mean, look, a really good performance, and you expect a champion like her to not be too rattled after dropping a tight first set, right? That's just something we've come to know. Um, all around, she just looks really good in this. Her backhand was a weapon in this match. Mukova did a lot of things well, but ultimately Azarenka just too good from the ground in this one. Yeah, look, I made a joke earlier in the tournament that Sasha Bublik is just Nick Kyrgios with worse press. Um, I could make the case Caroline Mukova. I mean, I, I can't think of an equivalent for her. It's not quite Daniil Medvedev because she hasn't had that level of result, but she's probably the next-gen woman with the worst amount of press. Or just like, she, I'd just be like, hey, why aren't more people talking about me and how good I am and how many different things I can do on the court? Because you watch a Carolina Mukova match, it's the fact she's 17 of 24 at the net in this one. It's the fact that, you know, you look at the distance covered per point. Jamie, she's covering 51.8 feet per uh, per point. That's a 5.2 more than her opponent, Azarenka. So she's not only aggressive, she's moving around the court as well. She's playing defense. She's throwing in backhand slice. She's playing angles. She'll go big down the line. I really like Caroline Mukova's game, but to your point, I mean, Victoria Azarenka in this match, just everything she's doing is so high percentage and so efficient. And I mean, 67% of her first serves go in. She wins 63% of both her first serve and second serve points. She's, you know, 6 of 15 on break points. One, you know, that's not great. And Mukova in this match, 4 of 5. So I suppose she was the more efficient one. But Azarenka created plenty of chances for herself. She won 48% of her receiving points. She would just, she found herself in every point. Whether it's just making the first return on at a big target with good depth, just you know, she's not she's making life so difficult for her opponents, and then of course she can hit the big winner down the line. She can move forward. She can do so many different things well. I'm really impressed. This was just a really fun all-around tennis match, right? It wasn't the power hitting that we saw of Rodgers and Kvitova. It wasn't the grinded-out sort of style that we see in some other matches. This was just that perfect combination of the two. Yeah, this match had a lot to it, and and to me that shows it shows a couple of things. But to me, you know, look, I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to start doubting Vika Azarenka now. So it showed me exactly what I needed to. That you know, no matter how the match is going, she can figure this thing out, right? If it becomes a slap fest, she can work her way through that. If she goes down a set, she can obviously come back. If it becomes a grind, she knows how to stay patient, but also dictate. So she is showing all the right things right now. And look, just like I said, I don't have a reason to doubt her. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, the draw now for her, too, as well. Uh, I mean, she's going to take on Elise Mertens, and that's a really tough matchup because that's another player who's playing so confidently right now. And I think much like Mukova, uh, Mertens can do a lot of different things to hurt you. I think she's got a little bit more pop than Mukova, but I also think Mukova probably a little bit better of a mover. But, yeah, it's going to be a really fun match. And just, again, quickly for Carolina Mukova, it, it was a really good performance from her. And to get to the quarterfinals here, the fourth round, excuse me, here at this event. It's, you know, she was one of those players, one of the 30 we circled, hey, she could make a second week. She could absolutely make a run. And, you know, it's a testament that to how well Victoria Azarenka that she knocked off Mukova because I really thought Mukova was playing some outstanding tennis. Obviously, the 7-6 in the third win over Kirstea uh, fighting off match points, that was huge. But here, she she had chances, particularly in that second set. You know, uh, I think she, I don't know if she was up early, but it was a back and forth third set and so I thought this was a really good performance from her yeah look I mean promising things for her as well expect to see her deep into majors for many years to come yeah, absolutely. Well, then with that in mind, let's talk about the rest of the matches on the day. And there were some really fun ones, right? Uh, you talk about, I mentioned it there, Elise Mertens, the number 16 seed, 3-3 three and three over Sophia Kennan. I'll point out yesterday, rough day for our Ace of the Day segment. Uh, we had the over at 18.5 on the Mertens-Kennan match. They obviously, 6-3, six, 6-3, three, six, three, that's 18. So that's just a tough beat. I apologize, folks. But what was what was not a tough beat was... Uh, Elise Mertens' win over Sophia Kennan. That was a definitive win. Mertens, Jamie, again, just this level she's shown in August. We're seeing a player make the leap. Yeah, she looks phenomenal. And look, for Kennan, right, this was... 
we knew this was coming, right? This was this was the match that we had circled from the beginning. They said, hey, if Sophia Kennan somehow gets through her tricky first few matches, she's going to have to run into Elise Mertens, and it's going to be trouble. Um, and so, look, I think this match, you know, going into it, I thought it could go either way because of how good Sophia Kennan has looked in her last few matches. Um, and the way, to, the way that she's gotten through her really tough section of the draw was impressive. But again, as you mentioned, Elise Mertens just in phenomenal form right now. And, you know, one of those people, as you mentioned, one of the 20 who could realistically take this title with her level, I mean, there's no reason to doubt her at this point because, I mean, a win like this over Kennan, it's just really impressive, particularly at this stage of the U.S. Open. Yeah, we say it with a pejorative, you know, it's uh, she's one of the 20 actually, and, I, and you know, she's one of the eight now. She may, she's put herself in a position. She's in the quarterfinals of this event, and, you know, Azarenka is another tough matchup, but... I don't know if I don't know how anyone on tour could be playing more confidently than Elise Mertens right now, semifinalist at Western Southern, finalist in Prague. She's just these past four weeks she's played outstanding tennis. And I said, well, it's really difficult to ask any of these players to play three weeks of high level tennis in a row. Not when you're 24, like Elise Mertens. This is exactly what you should be doing if you're a top 10 player. Six weeks in a row, you know that's the litmus test. And when you put together a good six week run like Medvedev did last year in the summer, like Zverev did on the clay in 2018 like Tsitsipas did at the start of 2019 in the indoor hardcourt season. That's when you know a player is making the leap into a top 10 performer, into that elite status. That's Elise Mertens right now. This four weeks she's put together, particularly under these circumstances, uh, exceptional. And again, Sophia Kennan's going to throw a lot of different looks at you. She's someone who's got a plan A, B, C, D, E. Didn't matter. Elise Mertens was able to handle it all. She continued to dictate. It was such a good level from her three and three win and again that match versus Vika that's must watch tennis uh the other semifinal Serena Williams gonna take on Savara uh Parankova now Parankova 6-4-6-7-6-3 winner uh Svetana excuse me Parankova over Cornet and I joked with you before the podcast Jamie I'm gonna say it again she had 50 unforced errors in this match but I swear to god I have never seen Parankova miss a ball like just every ball whether it be a slice whether it be an on the run whether it be a down the line whether it be a volley whether it be a running scoop flip shot I I don't think I've ever seen her miss yeah I mean well hey maybe you're just watching the I mean, look, look, if you watch 10 seconds of a point, you're probably, you know, what, one tenth of the way through that point, right? Because these these rallies were just so long. I mean, it was a grueling match. I mean, it goes almost three hours, both of them, you know, traveling over 56 feet per point. I mean, these these two were out here grinding. And this is, I mean, this is what we expected from this match, right? I mean, especially on the side of Cornet, we know what to expect from her. Um, she's going to go out there. She's going to run down balls. And yeah, look, when you look at the stats, it's almost calling calling a lot of these unforced errors yes they you know they are what they are but an unforced error at the end of a 20 ball rally where there's a lot more going on it's not the same as just missing a third ball in a rally right um so it's a little bit different so the stat sheet in my in my mind carries a little bit less weight in a match like this um but for me nonetheless what a battle and Peronkova, i mean through yeah, the quarters I'm... who would have thought <laughs> no i mean Look, I I think this stat was floating around yesterday. Victoria Azarenka, Serena Williams, uh, uh, Parankova. We have three mothers now in the quarterfinals of this U.S. Open. That's never happened before. That's obviously that's just awesome for the long term perspective of the game that these players will see a Vika, uh, a Serena, but even someone like a Parankova, which I think is more relevant, be able to go have a life outside of tennis, go have a kid. You know, obviously Kim Kleister is another notable example of that, and then come back to tennis and know that hey. These players have come back, and their level is just as good, if not better, than where they were beforehand. And to know that, to have that sort of confidence that you can go and do that as well, I just, I don't know how that's not a positive for uh, the women's tennis game, and so, or the game of women's tennis. And so, obviously, for Parankova, no, I did not. I, I, you can look through every draw in Turnitopia. If someone had Parankova in their quarterfinals, I will cede the mic to them because that is a hey, great shot to you. Uh, but yeah, Parankova, you can just tell it's clicking. You can tell how loose she's playing on court. There's no shot she's afraid of trying to hit because why not? It's all gravy right now for her uh, at this point in her career, and it's rocking and rolling. And so, yeah, what a performance from her from Alize, uh, to win over Alize Cornet. For Cornet, she continues to be, I think it's 54 slams now, the most slams from any 
any player in WTA history to not reach at least the quarterfinals of one of them, and that's brutal because she had her chances in this one. Um, so it, it was a really fun three-set match, though, obviously. Let's flip gears to the men's side, though, because, you know, we can go through these pretty quickly because they were fairly straightforward. Team over FAA, 7-6-6-1-6-1. Medvedev over Tiafo 6-4-6-1-6-love. Jamie, it was blowout city. Yeah, I mean, look, those two players, Team and Medvedev, really showing why, why they're just still a bit uh, they're just still a level above uh, above FAA and Tiafo and look I going into this match I thought Felix had a chance to at least grab a set or so and make this thing competitive um team just so good once he makes that decisive uh, look once he wins seven six in that first set I was kind of like okay this thing's over did I expect the second and third sets to be as lopsided as they were absolutely not um so that was a little bit disappointing to see Felix fold that way but Look, team looked so phenomenal. I mean, he had everything rolling from the serve to the offense to the defense. FAA just really looked like he couldn't do anything out there. And Medvedev, this is a, kind of exactly what we expected against Tiafo. I mean, a 4-1-0 and zero win. Medvedev just getting better as the match goes on and looking really good headed to the quarters. Yeah, no, it was, again, a, a great win for uh, Daniel Medvedev, uh, who, I, you know, I got dunked on on Twitter multiple times because I said, I think Tiafo, uh, you know, again— First of all, let me just start here. The tweet starts out with saying, I don't think, or I think it says, Tiafo's probably not going to win tonight. So from the get-go, I said, hey, Medvedev's playing better. But I just think Medvedev was not a horrible matchup for Tiafo. Other than the serve, he's not going to overwhelm Tiafo's forehand with pace. He's going to make an extra ball. But I feel like that gives Tiafo, if he's disciplined, time uh, chances to attack. And, you know, Tiafo was so disciplined through his first three matches in this event. And, yeah, I was wrong. You know, I will take the L on that one. I guess 0-4 in my predictions yesterday because I thought Medvedev would get more of a fight from Tiafo. That was not the case. For Dominic Team, we talked about it yesterday. He needed to win that match in straight sets for me to consider him a legitimate threat to win this tournament. He now is because, and I know he's the two seed, but he was not on my list of guys I thought could actually win. Uh, He has to be with that level. It doesn't matter the speed of the courts and Obviously, no one's going to hit a bigger ball than FAA, and team handled it with ease. He's able to turn these matches on hard courts into just grind fests. He's six feet behind the baseline and just firing such heavy balls that you just—it makes life so difficult. And yeah, I thought he made, uh, you know, life— uh, living hell yesterday for FAA on the court. It was just a great performance from team and FAA. You could see a little bit of nerves as well. First round of 16 uh, in sets two and three just kind of faded there. But yeah, great performance from Dominic team. And then the last one, Alex Dimenauer, seven six six three six two. He knocks off the hot serving Vashik Pospisil, advances to the first Grand Slam quarterfinal of his career. He, it, to me, is, you know, he and Rublev are my two most, imp- I mean, I guess they're all the most impressive performance of the day, but that was a great win from Demon Hour, who comes back from 6-2 down in that first set breaker to take the first, and then from there kind of ran with it. Yeah, I mean, look, he he shouldn't have won the first set. We'll just say that. So props to him for hanging around and doing it. I mean, Vasek Pospa still really let that one slide. In my opinion, though, um, Damon Hour still would have won this match in four, even if he drops that tie break. Um, he he looked cool as a cucumber he looked fine in that tie break um and so not surprising that he comes out and wins sets two and three again if Pospisil wins the breaker maybe Damon Auer has to go win a fourth but looked so solid in this one and Pospisil just not as red hot as he's been throughout the tournament so you know once the slaps start falling and the, and the serve isn't quite as big and effective it's just not going to be as good for him but don't want to take anything away from Damon Auer because that was a really impressive performance and, and he looks to be in great form headed into the quarters well. No, he asked every question of Pospisil's, hey, if you can keep your level up that you did against Ranich, that you did against RBA, you can beat me today. But um, he just, Vashik wasn't able to do that. And, you know, Demonauer put so much pressure on him. There's some fun quotes from him after the match. He just used his speed, I thought, so well in this match again as his biggest weapon. And uh, it continues to be so impressive. And we always said it was a matter of when, not if he's going to make a Grand Slam quarterfinal on hard court. Uh, great to see him bounce back from the injuries he had earlier this year and show off this level this week uh, to make the quarterfinals. And obviously, uh, that gets us to our day nine preview of this first half of quarterfinal action. And Jamie, you 
you know, again, it's it's a really fun slate of matches, two men's, two women's singles matches for us today. Just a quick note about the men's side, because I think this is a fun stat for our listeners. First time since 2003 Wimbledon that no past Madden singles Grand Slam champion are in the quarters of a major. It's only the second time in the open era, uh, in the history of the open era, that this has happened, this stat coming from the ATP Tour. Do you know who won that 2003 Wimbledon, Jamie? Uh, 03 Wimbledon was, uh, who ended up winning it? Was it Hewitt? No, I'll give you a hint. He's won a lot of them since. Oh, it's Fed. It's Federer. So I'm just saying, if Alex Virov's going to rip off the 10 straight majors, I thought he would. This would be a nice parallel. This would be a nice start. Um, But anyways, just a fun stat, a little bit of context for you as we head into this one. Uh, let's start with the men's side then in that theme. Borna Chorch taking on Alex Virov. You look at their career head-to-head. Chorch, 3-1 and one lifetime. Their last match came on the grass, 2018. Chorch beat him 1-4. They've played three times on hard courts. Virov beat him 4-4 four four in Miami, 2018. Chorch knocked him out in the second round of the 2017 U.S. Open, and then they played back in 2015. But I think it's safe to say we can throw that result out the window. Jamie, which way are you leaning in this one? What do you expect to see? Yeah, this one's really difficult for me. Um, I know, obviously, you're going to be leaning and and always rooting for Zverev, so it it is what it is. Um, I think what's difficult for me in this one is because George has looked so good and he's gotten through those matches, but you know we've also seen George just kind of throw away games and sets, and if Alex Zverev is serving really well, that just cannot be the case. Um, so I think you know you and I talked about it a bit before the pod. The biggest weapon still alive in the men's side is probably that Zverev first serve when it lands. Um, and so if that does in fact land and Zverev isn't folding, hitting a bunch of double faults, giving away free points... I don't see how Chorich wins this match. If Zverev starts getting tight, though, and letting Chorich in, Chorich is going to take this one and run with it because he can make more balls when it comes down to it. And if Zverev's offense isn't clicking, yeah, I think he's done. I, I First of all, I reject your premise that I'm always... Well, I am always rooting for Alex Zverev, but that doesn't mean I'm rooting against his opponent. I can be rooting for both of them. I'm that sort of Fair person. Um, but yeah, I, I agree with you. The biggest weapon on the court is Alex Zverev's serve. That's the shot that has the ability to do the most dictating to just take the ball off of Borna Chorch's racket. I think what makes Chorch such a t- uh, tricky matchup for Zverev is the fact that they can go backhand to backhand, and Chorch is just fine with that. He's one of the few players who can absorb that Zverev backhand and is happy to exchange shots on that side of of the court, you know, both of them similar forehand um, problems, we'll say, in that the backswings get a little bit big, so you can overwhelm them with pace, but, you know, most importantly, it's just, it's a different Alex Vera physically, two years later, the physical development he has, I don't think George has the physical advantage over Zverev anymore, I think that's a wash, I think in terms of confidence, they probably come into this tournament pretty equal at this, or this match pretty equal at this point, and then I think physically, just for George, you know, two tough five-set matches for him in round two and round three, and yeah, he got a straight-set win over Jordan Thompson in round four, but, you know, Tiafo tough matches against Millman and Seppi gets a straight set win over uh, in, in his four, uh, to advance to the fourth round. Who did he beat in the third round at this point? He beat Fucevic to get to the third round and you could just tell last night against Medvedev his legs were a little bit dead and that was certainly a reason we saw the result we did. I do worry about that a little bit for Borna Chorch who has just played so much tennis now over these past 10 days. I am leaning Svirov in this one. Uh, do you have a pick for me? Oh, God, make me pick it. I mean, I think you got to go Zverev at this point. I, I won't even put any conditions on it. Just I, you got to go Zverev, and it'll probably be wrong knowing my picks, but hey. No, it's, the problem is the second Zverev becomes a favorite, that's when you get in trouble. Exactly. And so, yeah, so that would be my only reservation, but I think it's going to be really good tennis. I also think the shabavov Karino busta match, the other quarterfinal on the men's side we're going to see today, is going to be really fun. Karino busta three-to-one head-to-head career in uh, advantage over Shapovalov. They've played once at the Slams. It was the 2017 U.S. Open PCB knocked Shapovalov off in the round of 16, 6, 6, and 6. Feels worth noting, Jamie, all four of their matches, straight set results. Only one of them have come has come on clay. They played three times last year. Karino Busta going 2-1. Shapovalov only winning the match between the two of them on clay. Which way are you leaning in this one? What do you expect to see? Yeah, I think you got to lean Denis Shapovalov here, regardless of head-to-heads in the past. I mean, obviously, Shapovalov has grown a lot in the last couple of years. And look, 
Karina Busta is so solid off the ground, but if Shapovalov does what he has been doing throughout this tournament, I mean, just the offense and the power he displays, I, I don't know how he loses this match. I mean, realistically, the only way I see him losing is if he's just spraying balls, right? If Karina Busta gets into these grinding rallies and Shapovalov just starts spraying backhands and, and overcooking forehands, then sure, I see it happening. But right now, I think you, I think more, way more belief is on the side of Denis Shapovalov. I think that's an important factor here because Karina Busta, realistically, there's probably a lot going on in his head right now. Like, he's here, but how did he get here, right? It, it's not like he had the huge confidence boost from a Djokovic win. You know, Djokovic got defaulted, and so Karina Busta probably feeling weird about being in the spot that he's even in, whereas Shapovalov feels like he's earned his way to this spot, and he's earned it with phenomenal tennis. So I think you got to be leaning Shapovalov here, um, and I, I don't know, maybe PCB gets a set, but if we're looking at it, I'm probably guessing it's a tight first set and Shapovalov ends up with it, but... Who knows? Yeah, on paper, I mean, Shapovalov, the definitive advantage in firepower, the definitive advantage in weapons, the probably definitive advantage in ways he can attack you. But you think for Pablo Carreno Busta, what does he want to do to make Denis Shapovalov uncomfortable in this match? He wants to make it physical. Of course, Shapovalov has played, you know, some really physical tennis, four sets against Korda, four sets against Kwan, five sets against Fritz, four sets against Goffin. That starts to add up. And, you know, the thing you like about Shapovalov, he's, what, 20 years old still at this point, maybe be 21 now. Uh, I think he is 21. Like, his legs are fine. I'm not too worried about his legs. He's as fit as they come, you know, as impressive as his firepower is. He's equally as impressive as a mover. You have no questions about that. But, yeah, I just... You know, first quarterfinal for Shapovalov, you could see that playing a factor, certainly. I I just think Carreno Busta, he's too solid. He's going to steal a set. He's not going to give this match away, and inevitably there will be some manifestation of nerves for Denis Shapovalov, but I agree with you. If Denis Shapovalov is present for the entire match mentally, if he's locked in and focused in the way he has been throughout the duration of this early, uh, or throughout his first four matches of this U.S. Open, then there's absolutely no no reason for him to lose this match. I agree with you. I think it is going to be a four-set battle, and I have the over three and a half sets as one of our GSP aces of the day, but I think Shapovalov should win this match. I imagine you agree. Yeah, I think Shapovalov is going to come through this one. I'd be very surprised if we see Pablo Carina Busta into the semis. Yeah. All right. Well, then with that, let's get to the women's matches. Let's start with Brady versus Poots. Jennifer Brady, winner in Lexington, has looked so good and has not, I believe, dropped a set yet at this U.S. Open. She's won 18 of her last 20 sets. There's a crazy stat for you, Jamie. Uh, she's taken on a Yulia Putinseva who looked really good in a win over Petra Marchich. She is fit as a fiddle right now, and she's got the whole you know toolbox working for her, whether it's the 20 feet elevated over the net deep balls, whether it's the short angles, the slice the drop shots, the slaps down the line. I think this is going to be a really fun match, and you look at the career head-to-head, Putin save a 2-0, both of those wins coming back in 2018, and of course, it's a completely different Jennifer Brady uh, now than in 2018. Which way are you leaning in this one, Janie? Jamie? Yeah, I mean, I think at this point, the tennis that you've seen from Jennifer Brady, I don't know how you're not leaning her way um yes putin Seba poses a very interesting challenge and she's not gonna she shouldn't I, I will say that she shouldn't make this a straight up contest right you mentioned it all the different shots in her arsenal she should be using all of them to try to disrupt the rhythm of jennifer brady because she's a player that once she's in a rhythm from the baseline i mean good luck um but still even with all of that i don't know how jennifer brady unless she just completely drops her level i, I don't know how she loses this match because she has looked so good getting through convincingly um, through this section of the draw. Putin Seva, yes, has gotten through and has, you know, endured some battles and done some great things competitively. But for me, Jennifer Brady has just looked a step better. Yeah, I, I mean... Jennifer Brady's got the biggest weapon in this uh, in this match, and it's her forehand. And yeah, the fact that Putin save, I mean, she can dictate a little bit in terms of moving you side to side, but Brady's been moving so well, and she's hitting the forehand so big. Now, I do worry for Jennifer Brady just how much tennis she's played over the last six weeks. And again, she's as fit as anyone in the game right now, but... Uh, it's just, you know, it's it's tough because you could tell, uh, I think she had the injury timeout uh, at the end of her match with Kerber and just, you know, Putin Seva is going to ask every question of her in this match physically. So I do think it's going to th- be a three-set battle, but I just, the confidence Jennifer Brady is playing with, the way she's swinging so freely, yeah, it's first Grand Slam quarterfinal for her, but this match is going to be on her racket and... 
I don't know. I would say of all the matches on the day, this is the one I probably... I don't know if it's an upset. Putin save is the higher seed, but it certainly would feel like an upset if she won. She's probably the, the I guess, via DraftKings, the person with the upset odds that I'm most that I think is most likely to pull off the win today. Yeah. I mean, look, I think that's fair. And I think it's fair to say this one could go either way, but I don't know. I would feel, I would feel guilty going against Jennifer Brady with the level we've seen from her for the last couple of weeks. Yeah, that's fair. Well then, um, again, it's going to be a really fun match. Last one for you, Rogers, Osaka, Rogers three and zero against Osaka, but they haven't played since 2017. Obviously since then, Naomi Osaka. So I don't know, won two grand slams, reached number one in the world. Uh, so completely different beast, but Few players have been more, uh, are more confident or playing better tennis right now than Shelby Rogers, and she continued her form into this one, obviously coming off of an incredible 7-6 in the third win over Petra Kvitova. Big serves, big forehands is going to be the story of this match, Jamie, so we can just get straight to the pick. Who do you got and why? Yeah, I mean, I think you got to go Osaka. If you're in the Shelby Rogers camp, I think you got to feel good about the fact she's got confidence on the head-to-head. I mean, obviously, it's a very different thing, but look, at the end of the day, it's still the same person. So if you've got the lead in the head-to-head, that is going to give you some confidence. I think the big key for me on the Rogers side here, you can't make this match just a straight up and down. Um, if you start making this about just big ground strokes in the middle third, you are done. Um, Osaka is just going to wipe the slate clean, and it's it's going to be a very convincing win for her. But if Shelby Rogers can impose her game, um, throw off the Osaka rhythm, you know, who knows? A lot of things can happen. All of that being said, I still think you have to lean with Naomi Osaka. Yeah, we got the chance to hang with Shelby Rogers at the Young Kings Scholarship in Lexington, and I was such a fan of hers. Talk, you know, beyond being just an incredible talent, she's just such a kind, such a fun-loving person, and so obviously that was delightful to get the chance to uh, hang with her a little bit. Look, she's playing outstanding tennis, but... Naomi Osaka, again, I've said it before, I'll say it again, when she plays well, she's the best player in the women's game right now. I am thrilled that with this result, Shelby Rogers is back where she belongs, hovering around the top 50. She's at number 55 already, a win today. She skyrockets from 55, Jamie, she'll be inside the top 50, and she'll reach a new career high inside the top 40 as well, but I just don't see it. I think uh, Naomi Osaka playing too well. I do think Shelby Rogers is going to be able to hold serve, that serve, that forehand it's going to give Osaka troubles, but when you saw what Osaka did to Conteve in that fourth round match, I just, I don't know how you can pick anyone else. I agree with you. I'm going to roll Naomi Osaka, but it's going to be a really fun day nine, and most importantly, if you miss any of day nine's action or you have missed any of the previous action in this U.S. Open, you need to catch up. You want to hear more about what happened with Novak Djokovic, why he was suspended, our thoughts on that. You want to hear more about the pair 11. You want to hear more just about what it's like right now at the U.S. Open, life with no fans. Be sure to listen to our podcast where we've covered all of those topics and more. You know, like, rate, subscribe, review this show, the Great Shot Podcast, Cracked Interviews, and Inside Out Podcasts. Be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel so you don't miss any of our video content. Jamie and I, uh, I think, doing a pretty good job of breaking down what to expect here on this week, uh, in this week two of the U.S. Open. You can go check all of that. And by the way, shout out to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, for the f- of an editing job he's been doing day in, day out. That guy is always staring at his screen and I feel bad if I was like I was like dude I I don't know how we can live together and you look at my face all day and he's like yeah that's why I don't really talk to you when we're in the living room I was talking to you all day long and I'm like okay yeah that makes more sense but shout out to him as always he is a workhorse shout out of course to our friends at Midwest Sports and Aerobar for their continued support as well go to midwestsports.com use that promo code CR15 go to aerobar.com use that promo code cracked15 uh again Jamie Day nine of the court, uh, of the U.S. Open ahead of us. This has flown by. Any final thoughts on today's action? Uh, good luck to your aces of the day. That's what <laughs> I have to say. We need that on day nine. No, I mean, Jill Simone already dishing me an early blow. But yes, I appreciate you saying that. And with that in mind, again, for my wonderful co-host, James Fulston McDonald, our super producers, Max Fligner and Daniel Westoff, our friends at Midwest Sports and Aerobar, and all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Jamie, what do we tell the people? That's a break. And we'll see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone.